Welcome to the Parental Development Podcast. I'm Leah. And I'm Becca. And we're two sisters, one with kids. And one without. One with questions. And one with answers. One who's a licensed psychologist. And one who just wants everyone to hear what she has to say. We both have a heart to see parents succeed and kids thrive. In this podcast, we'll be discussing a variety of topics, all with the goal of promoting conversation and learning. Thanks for joining us. Let's chat. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Parental Development. We're just going to dive in. I mean, we always just dive in. (laughs) No, (laughs) Beck and I were together for the last four days for Thanksgiving, and then I had to come home so we could record. (laughs) Seems a little bit backwards, but here we are. So I first just want to say (laughs) I have some thoughts and feelings about the last episode, and I feel like there are certain parts that were unclear and unfinished. And while I've been told by many people that there were still nuggets of information that were helpful and people didn't know. That would be my my, my two cents. <laughs> right. I realized I really didn't talk about polyvagal theory at all. <laughs> I got distracted with neuroception. And then we went off on these little like tangents and full transparency. When we recorded for last week's episode, I had approximately one hour and then I had to leave for like a meeting so I was rushed and all the things so we're gonna do another episode and actually talk about polyvagal theory (laughs) and try and clear up maybe some confusion you may have had because I didn't finish my thoughts about it so that's just where we're gonna go I do think one thing I also want to add in is that for me and I think for a lot of people in this world. This is not just something I that is just like a parenting strategy for me or like a parenting approach. This truly is just how I approach life. Mm -hmm. This is how I, this is not just what I think about kids. It's just what I think about people and relationships and it's how I interact with everybody in my life. So it's not really something that I like do to my children. It really is just a worldview, I guess, or just a way of being that makes sense based on what I know about people and behavior and safety and trauma and all those things put together. So, Which I think, just to tag on to what you just said, I think that if some people maybe hear everything you've talked up until this point and it just is about parenting, that can seem a little daunting because you're trying to apply it to just such a small aspect of your life. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. But if you do look at it as kids are full people. So then everything that you've talked about, whether it's just a quote unquote parenting style or trauma or development, all of that is applicable to kids as much as it is to adults. And so then I think that if you can maybe change the way you think about applying it as, I just want to try to apply it to my kids instead, how can this information, how can this shape my relationships, period? I, yeah. th- I think that that could be a lot easier. That's just my opinion. And I think it does lend itself to us just being kinder, sympathetic, more graceful people when we do that. That's just my two cents. I mean. Well, no, I agree. And I think it goes both ways in, you know, I'm talk- I'm I'm talking about parenting but because this is just how I view life, sometimes I I even have a hard time going in that direction to say like, well, how does this apply to parenting? Right. Because it's just people. So right. sometimes, right, if if you're in, in the trenches of parenting, it might be hard to, or you're learning about this for the first time in the context of parenting, it might be right. hard to broaden that. Yes. For me, yeah. it's hard. Sometimes it's also hard to narrow it to a focus mm-hmm. of parenting because what I always say when I train like teachers or whatever uh, – little kids become big kids and big kids become adults. Mm -hmm. So we all like, we're all just people and we were all once children. And so this isn't like it only applies until you're 18 and then something different happens in your brain or in Mm -hmm. your body. It's just what we know about how we interact and how we relate to one another and what we need and crave and all that kind of stuff. So that's the soapbox for today. Yeah, I also realized in traveling right my family we all went 
down by Becca to South Carolina for Thanksgiving. <laughs> and I realized I'm in, I have placed myself in a little bit of a bubble. I'm in like a, I'm in this bubble in my world of mm -hmm. everybody I work with. I can talk this language with a lot of my friends have similar professions as I do. So we can talk that same language. Obviously my family, I've indoctrinated all of them <laughs> where they can all talk my same language. And it's interesting to get outside of that, like kind of trauma informed, uh, gentle parenting kind of bubble and see, you know, just different perspectives and where people are mm -hmm. in this kind of journey or even if they don't know they're on the journey, I guess. So that's been interesting to see too, to know, A, to help me understand maybe needing to start even further back because I have been in this world for so long. It's kind of like we talked about, like, I don't know what people don't know. And I don't, yeah, I don't know how, how far down the road I am because I just can't remember another way. Yeah. And so it's been interesting kind of getting that different perspective and realizing everybody is just in such different places right. and stages of this work and in their roles as parents and how they interact with each other and all those kinds yeah. of things. Okay, polyvagal theory. Here let's we go. Actually, <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's actually do it. Okay, polyvagal theory. I talked about the vagus nerve. It's about <laughs> as far as I got. But just to refresh, your vagus nerve. It's a cranial nerve. goes from your brain all throughout your body. It's called the vagus nerve because the vagus means wanderer and it wanders like all really throughout your body. It's the longest cranial nerve and it touches almost all of your organs. Obviously, your cranial nerves are sending and, and receiving information to and from your brain. But the vagus nerve is actually receiving 80% of the information it has is, is being received from your body. Only 20% is going from your brain to your body, which I think is interesting because I think a lot of times we think our brains are just the ones sending the information. Mm -hmm. But really, a lot of that information is coming from our organs, from our bodies up into our brains. And so this is part of our autonomic nervous system, which is part of our central nervous system. Mm -hmm. And we talked about your sympathetic nervous system, and your parasympathetic nervous system. My gas and my brakes. There you go. <laughs> Again, that's as far as we got. So let me clarify. Parasympathetic. So historically, we have thought like your autonomic nervous system, that's your gas, and that mm -hmm. revs you up. And we have always thought that your parasympathetic was kind of the savior to that gas. Parasympathetic, you may, maybe you've heard, is like the rest and digest part and so it keeps you at rest. It's responsible for your digestion, all those <laughs> kinds of things. And so we used to think it was like just this contrast to your sympathetic nervous system, that your parasympathetic really just was this balancing act. What the polyvagal theory has taught us is there is actually that your sympathetic nervous system actually takes you into another state of being that yes is the breaks, but is almost like too much breaks, if that makes sense. So let me start by saying this. So polyvagal theory asserts that there are three states that our nervous system has. Okay. And Deb Dana, who's a who's a therapist, she has taken the polyvagal theory and made it more, I guess like layman's terms, particularly for therapists to mm -hmm. understand so we can understand in therapy how to use this, how to look at behavior differently, how to treat trauma, all those kinds of things. But I think it's good information just for people trying to understand the theory. So she put this, these three states on a ladder. Okay. And you go up and down the ladder based on your sense of safety, based on your neuroception, how safe your neuroception tells you that you are, believes that you are. So the top of the ladder is the technical term is your ventral vagal state. We'll just call it safe and connected. I like just, that better. Just, <laughs> just for ease of use here. <laughs> and so that is where we are safe and connected. And that is where we are kind of at our best. And that keeps us kind of in this state of being mindful and regulated. That's where we can 
we're like connected with our body, we're able to make like rational, logical choices, we can express our emotions appropriately, we can think logically, all of that stuff. So ventral vagal or safe and connected. Okay. Or it sounds like that's your health. We're healthy there. <laughs> yes, that's healthy. That's where we want to be. We, we right. want to get and be and stay in safe and connected. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Again, that is when your system has told you that you are safe based on your neuroception. So if your neuroception sends you cues or picks up cues of danger, you may go down the ladder and that gets you into the sympathetic state, which we will call fight or flight. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that is your sympathetic nervous system. So so the safe and connected is part of your parasympathetic. That's your parasympathetic nervous system online. Your sympathetic nervous system comes online and you go into a fight or flight mode. Okay. And that truly is where you have picked up on some cue of danger, and your body is preparing to fight or get you out of there mm -hmm. in order to keep you safe. Now, what we know is the way we move up and down the ladder is through safety and connection. And so when you're in this sense of fight or flight, if you can feel safe again or be connected with other people or even yourself or nature or your pet, just some mm -hmm. sense of connection, you can move back up the ladder into safe and connected. But behaviorally, what you see when people are in this fight or flight mode is like an activation. Mm -hmm. And so it could be as simple as they they start to move, their bodies start to move, mm -hmm. you could get to like defiance or oppositional behavior. Mm -hmm. They can feel some kind of like, anxiety, they could become aggressive. So all of these things are a continuum. So the the safe and connected state is a continuum, the fight or flight state is a continuum. So kind of on the low end of that continuum, you just start to like become activated and move. The far end of that continuum is, you know, you're aggressive, you're out of control, you're angry and irritable and all of those things. Okay. Like just define it's a continuum. I, I, I mean, I see, I know what you're saying. Like it can progress and look different things, but what do you mean when you say it's a continuum? So all of us are, are moving up and down this ladder all day, every day. We okay. all are. Mm -hmm. And so the three states are not bad or good. Mm -hmm. And so we all move into these three states over and over and over based on our environments, our internal cues, our neuroception. Right. Again, there's nothing wrong with becoming, with with moving into a fight or flight. So for me, something that might happen is, so if I'm in a swivel chair, I sometimes <laughs> will tend to swivel. I, uh -huh. I move, I move a lot, uh -huh. even if I'm in a meeting. Uh -huh. That could be a sign of activation for my body, which is neither good nor bad. It just is. Mm -hmm. Or I may feel like all of a sudden my body needs to move. Mm -hmm. I need to, I've got to, I got to do something. I got to move. That mm -hmm. could be a sign of that activation. Now, all the way on the end of that spectrum, if I go like deep into fight or flight, mm -hmm. which happens not, luckily not super regularly, I might throw something or mm -hmm. scream at someone or mm -hmm. punch someone. So that's the continuum I mean is... We we can dip our toe in any of these stages mm -hmm. or we can go like deep, deep, deep into them and have mm -hmm. a really hard time getting out. The deeper you get, the more problematic your behavior would become right. to the people around you. So that's what I mean when I say it's on a continuum. Okay. I have some follow-up questions about that, but I want you to – we okay. still have a rung of the ladder that I'm going to let yes, you get Yes, we to. do. <laughs> yes, we do. So, okay. Past sympathetic or the fight or flight is – what is called dorsal vagal. So this is the the other part of the parasympathetic. This is the break, like mm -hmm. the, the big break. Okay. That's dorsal vagal. It's really just like a like a collapse or a dissociation. Okay. So this can be again, that is like the more dangerous the thing becomes, you go further down the ladder. And so you may get all the way down into dorsal vagal 
or this collapsed dissociation. Okay. So let me explain what dissociation means. Dissociation just basically means that you kind of like check out for a little bit. Mm-hmm. We do. We all do it all the time. the The cleanest example that adults understand a lot is like if I get in my car at work to come home, I can pull into my driveway and not remember a thing about my drive. Mm-hmm. I don't remember turning. I don't remember the stoplights. That that's that's dissociation. I dissociated a little bit on my drive home. Not again. Not good or bad. It just is. We all do that. We kind of like you go on kind of autopilot, and we all do that a lot. It becomes more and more problematic the the deeper into dissociation you get. And people who have a very significant trauma history dissociate a lot. Mm-hmm. It's our brain's way of protecting us a lot of times, mm-hmm. where your brain will just say, that's not safe, I'm out of here. And it will just like shut down, basically. And again, at the very far end of the spectrum, you have people who like lose chunks of time or check out for days and days and days or let other parts of their personality kind of come out. So that's, again, mm-hmm. that's very deep into the spectrum. But but we all kind of dissociate on a regular basis. Again, it's not necessarily good or bad. When you get down that ladder into that dorsal vagal or dissociation spot, again, that's a continuum. Mm-hmm. You can isolate yourself. You can look depressed. You can draw. You can become very avoidant. A lot of times people are very tired. Mm-hmm. Again, at the far end of the spectrum, people will just like pass out or go to sleep. Mm -hmm. You know, we work with a lot of kids who like those fall asleep in the middle of class or in the middle of a Mm -hmm. session or that ultimately is like their body saying like, yep, I'm done here. And they Mm -hmm. completely like let go and they're done. Mm -hmm. So that is that dorsal vagal, also that parasympathetic nervous system Mm -hmm. where the break just goes on to the point where, you know, you kind of shut down or space out for a little bit. So again, we all move through these states at any point. You mm-hmm. don't have to go through fight or flight to get to dorsal vagal. Okay. Some of them are based on, you know, your early experiences and how, first of all, how dangerous you think certain things are, mm-hmm. but how some of those responses were trained up. So for me, I can easily go dorsal vagal. I can easily go dissociate, check out. Mm -hmm. And what this looks like for me, right? I'm not losing chunks of time. Mm -hmm. But if I get into a situation where I, this happens to me a lot at work to be if I'm being honest, (laughs) not a lot, but some, (laughs) some, (laughs) if I'm in a thing, and I start to feel like a conversation, my MO is I will just disengage completely, complete disengagement, back up, I will not get in your face and scream at you. I will check out and say like, okay, that's fine. It's fine. You mean if you're getting, if you get in like an argument or an altercation, like a, like a, maybe a heated discussion, like. Maybe not even heated, just feeling like, you know, you can get into, they, they've done a lot of work. Deb Dana does a lot with like mapping your states to know mm-hmm. what does that state look like for you? We all have mm-hmm. all three states. Mm-hmm. What does that state look like for you? How do you get there? And what are the, basically, like, what are you telling yourself that mm-hmm. gets you there? So for me, truly, it's probably something like a, uh, they don't care about what I'm saying, or nobody's mm-hmm. listening to me, or that tends to be when I, I will check out. Now, Becca and I could probably have an offline conversation about what about our <laughs> childhood <laughs> makes me, makes me go there. Um, mm-hmm. But that tends to be where I go. I'm not a, I'm not going to argue necessarily. I easily can check out. So so mm-hmm. I can go from safe and connected to dorsal vagal. You don't have to go like through mm-hmm. the fight or flight. And then there are other times where I will get into like a, I'll get into a thing with you and I'll mm-hmm. be in more of a fight or flight and need to kind of engage with you. But the more dangerous something is perceptually, right? the further down the ladder you go. Okay. Okay. Basically... The thing that gets you up back to safe and connected is safety and connection. <laughs> it's really complicated that way. But you get to safety and connection through safety and connection. They talk a lot. You know, we talked about that neuroception concept where your body's scanning four times per second for safety. So what they have found and what 
Stephen Porges will say a lot is it's not enough to only withdraw cues of danger. You have to insert cues of safety in order okay. to get people back up the ladder. Okay. What this means for parenting is, A, I cannot bring somebody back to safety and connection if I am not in safety and connection. Mm-hmm. You just biologically, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. If my system is in fight or flight, I cannot bring my child back up the ladder into safe and connected. Can't right. do it. So that means I, as a parent, have to do my best to stay in safe and connected. Mm-hmm. Because if I go to those other two places, my kid will either go there with me or I, or minimally I can't get them back up the ladder to safe and connected. Right. What it also means from a behavioral perspective is our kids are not consciously making these choices a lot of the times. Right. Yeah. This is their nervous system saying you are unsafe and they dip into one of those other two states and their nervous system is doing what it thinks is going to keep them safe. Mm-hmm. And so from a parenting perspective, it really, to me, I just approach it with like a state of curiosity to say like, huh, what's happening? What's happening there? Not from a, they're doing this on purpose to hurt me, mm-hmm. but like a, how did they get there? And how can I get them back up to me, back up to safe and connected? Yeah. And again, if I go down there with them, I can't. I can't right. get them up. I can't get them yeah. back up into safe and connected. The other thing we know is safe and connected is where all their logic and reasoning is online. Mm-hmm. That's where they can learn. That is the only place that true consequences would actually do what we think consequences do. Mm. So if they are in fight or flight or dorsal vagal collapse, consequences do nothing because their brains are not in a state to even receive the information, let alone doing anything meaningful with it. Could those, because they're either in a, in a fight or flight or a dorsal vagal, dorsal vagal collapse state, could you potentially, by trying to impose consequences while they're there, even further exacerbate the situation and drive them further down that continuum. Oh, yeah. Because again, if you think, so as I said, you have to insert cues of safety. You cannot just take away the danger. So Stephen Porges talks a lot about the basic cues of safety we have, tone of voice, Mm -hmm. and body posture, Mm -hmm. and facial expressions. Those are the three easiest, really most significant cues of safety we have. Most of us as parents, when we are imposing consequences in a traditional sense, my tone of voice is not melodious. Right. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> I put on a strong voice right. and I am telling you about yourself. Mm-hmm. So my tone of voice is going to be another cue of danger for my child. And that will can potentially certainly keep them in that state that they're in of danger or send them further down the ladder. Right. Not only is that not a cue of safety, it's actually another cue of danger. Right. Same for body posture. When we go at our kids, we've talked about that, right? When Sawyer ran away, if I run after him, that is a cue of danger for his system. Mm -hmm. That is not going to get him back to a place of safety and connection with me. It's just not. And that is the only place they can make good choices and make rational choices and logical Mm -hmm. choices and hear me and listen and all those things. The goal of parenting is to first get them back to safe and connected with me Mm -hmm. because I got to be there and then to talk about, okay, what happened? How did we get there? What can we do differently? All those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So yeah, certainly traditional discipline sends them, just sends them further down the ladder because there's no cues of safety. And you might be going to get to this part. How do you know? I mean, obviously, I'm visualizing, like, say, the the video of that dad with his his two-year-old having that tantrum. In that video, I can visibly see 
when yeah. she's back to safe and connected because she literally collapses into him. And that's obviously that's clear for me to see, but how would you know? Let's say I have my five-year-old and he's in that fight or flight zone. How would I know when I get him back to safe and connected so that then we can have a conversation and quote unquote discipline him and teach him something different? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think the short answer is attunement. Okay. The short answer is becoming attuned enough with your kids to be able to tell that and know that. But there are also other cues that most of us, even if we haven't been doing this, we know when our kids are off or when mm-hmm. they're when they're just not quite right. Mm-hmm. And so when they can start to have more logical and rational conversations, mm-hmm. when that defensive kind of posture stops, mm-hmm. when they are able to demonstrate any kind of like logic or reasoning, they're moving up the ladder. Okay. And they're they're getting to that point. To your point about that video, I think that's 100% right. And that is a, again, a very clear example. At the same time, that video, you also can see there is a time. And again, just to be clear, that was like a five minute video spliced together of a 30 minute tantrum or something. I mean, it lasted much longer than what he edited down. But even in that, the edited version, you can see you can see her kind of move through all right. of them, right? Yeah. Because I remember yeah. the time where she collapsed initially and I thought like, oh, okay, she's done. And then she revved right. back up. Right. Yeah. Something happened and she revved all the way back up again. Mm-hmm. And so some of that is just going to be like, you know, you go in and try to have a conversation again and they you and then they pop off again. You think like, nope, they weren't. <laughs> They're not quite back there. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is just that getting to know your kid, really thinking through what do these states look like for mm-hmm. me, number one, what do they look like for my kids, number two, and what does safe and connected look like for all of mm-hmm. us, and right. how can we get there to bring them back up that ladder? I think just to tag onto what you just said about that video, too, because there was that initial thing where you saw her kind of collapse and then she kicked back up again. And you said, for whatever reason, I think that illustrates what you had, what you said in that clearly that happened internally because he, his posture was the same the entire Mm -hmm. time. He was literally sitting on the floor. He wasn't talking to her. He wasn't doing anything, but internally her body, her brain, something in there said, Nope, not done yet. Yep. Perceived something that caused her to do that. So I think it illustrates the point that you can't always, you won't see it. No. It's not visible. Like it happens internally for whatever reason. And it happens with adults too. Like, you know, sometimes if, you know, I have a risk, like what you were saying, like if we're just having a conversation and I, I just think my brain perceives, oh, they don't really care what I have to say. Okay, nope, we're done. It's under the surface. It's internal. It's not visible. Mm-hmm. which I think is presents a different challenge in and of itself too, for you to accept. I'm not going to be able to see, oh, their brain perceives, I'm using air quotes again too, danger. Yeah. It, they don't have control over it and you can't see it. Yes. Some of it is internal. That can be as easy as like they're hungry or they're tired. That's internal, right? Like mm. that's when we talk about interoception, neuroception, that's I'm hungry, I'm tired. That is an internal thing. As kids get older, that's self-talk. Mm. That is, I'm so stupid. Why did I do that? I shouldn't have done that. That can be enough to kick them out of safe and connected mm. because those internal cues are t- are are telling them that they're unsafe or, or, you know, they're not okay. Right. That in and of itself can be something that kind of moves them up and down that ladder for sure. Mm-hmm. It can be something as minor as something like that. One of the other things... Poor just talked about, you know, we talked about these cues of safety and how tone of voice is like one of the main ones and how difficult sometimes this can be for dads, for men. Mm-hmm. And we all talk this way to to babies, right? Like mm-hmm. we make, it's called the, the prosody of your voice. The, it really is like the melody, like it's prosodic. Right. It's, yeah. um, you know, we all have our baby voices. People have their dog voices. Mm-hmm. You know, the way they talk to and how difficult this is for men 
Mm-hmm. And I would say even men, particularly men talking to boys and how so much of that I think is wrapped up in like gender norms and like mm-hmm. men need to be manly, right? And assert their dominance and be strong and we need to make our boys strong. And we certainly can't talk to them the same way we would talk to our daughters or to our dogs or to our babies. We need to talk to them differently because whatever. And men, most men, their voice just by definition is deeper and more stern. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how important that is for men to be aware of their tone of voice, because as they approach their kids, knowing that my tone of voice is a, can be a, a safety cue for them, mm-hmm. how important that is to pay attention to that, especially when we're trying to bring them up that ladder to safe and connected right. and, and how just how important that is. Again, same with body posture. And that's why we talk about getting on their level, and then your facial expressions, knowing that when people, just any people are in these other two states outside of safe and connected, they often misread cues, they misread facial expressions, and they mm-hmm. misread because your your system is then primed because it thinks you're in danger. Right. It's primed to see danger. And so even a neutral face, a still face, when they're in these heightened states, or danger states, a child will perceive anger or frustration or another danger cue, even to like a still face or a neutral face and how important Mm -hmm. that is to make sure my face is soft and my eyes, you know, are not my mean eyes or that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, How important that is. Yeah. We've talked about this as it pertains to some other topic, but it would be easy for a parent to say, my kids know that not going to hurt them. My kids know that I'm, you know, if I raise my voice or I come at them or walk towards them, I mean, it's as simple as walking towards them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I know that the argument would be, it would be easy for me to make the argument, like they know I'm not going to hurt them, like yada, yada, yada. Their brain does not know that. Their safe and connected brain might know that. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. But but if they're already dysregulated and mm-hmm. they're they've gone down the ladder... Maybe I'm wrong, but they their brain is not necessarily going to see you as, oh, that's my dad coming at me. Like, no, no, there's somebody come. There's a big person coming at me and they're not able because their frontal is not they're not online. Right. So they're not able to do that. And so then you are potentially driving them further down the ladder even though I guess it's not your intention to do that, but just by your body posture, your vo- tone of voice or whatever, you are inadvertently doing that. Right. Yeah. That's a, it's a logical thought. Right. right. My dad has never hurt me. And so no, he's not going to hurt me or my mom is safe. That's a logical thought. They don't have logic and reasoning mm-hmm. when they, their nervous systems have picked up on these cues of danger. And mm-hmm. so they can't get there. They can't get mm-hmm. to that thought process. All they right. can get to is, like you said, this is a cue of danger. And mm-hmm. how do I, how do I get out of it? How do I, mm-hmm. how do I get away from it? How do I fight it? How do I collapse? It's similar to an animal playing dead. Mm-hmm. They're like conserving energy to try to get up enough energy to go back to fight or flight. Right. And if you have a child that has truly experienced trauma or abuse or legitimate dangerous situations, mm-hmm. This it's going to be even easier for them to go down the ladder quickly because, mm-hmm. it, like we said, you know, in previous episodes, their systems are primed to see danger and they are on high alert anyway. Mm-hmm. So, if you have kids that have that history from you or someone else, or just you know, an environmental like something has happened, mm-hmm. this may be even harder for them to get to safe and connected because. They don't trust that at all. And there are some people who like rarely get to safe and connected. I mean, truly, they live in fight or flight or they live in collapse. Mm -hmm. They're dissociated all the time. And many of them we see like for therapy of they they don't trust anybody enough to ever get to safe and connected. Mm -hmm. And so safe and connected is the goal, but you may have kids that really struggle to get out of whatever those other two states are for them Mm -hmm. and get up to safety and connected for lots of different reasons. But for those kids, it's even more important, I think, 
to really approach them in a way that gives these cues of safety and connects with them Mm -hmm. and how difficult, you know, that might be. Yeah. I mean, I know that I know that we want to do a whole series or couple episodes on like foster care and adoption and that kind of thing, because I obviously that would play into that significantly. Yeah. The other thing I want to say about that is there are cues of danger and those we talked about those before those might actually be dangerous things. But when you talk about the safe and connected piece, there are other cues of disconnection that also send kids and people down the ladder. So an example they gave is if you are talking to me and we are having a conversation and I just turn my body or turn my head the other way, mm-hmm. I have disconnected from you in some way. Mm-hmm. That That is just a, that's a weird cue that your body would be like, oh, that, that's a disconnection. What happens is our brain makes up a story about that. Mm. We put words to that. Right. Yep. Yep. That would be, she doesn't care what I'm talking about. She doesn't mm-hmm. want to hear this. I'm so stupid. She thinks I'm worthless. Whatever that might be. Our brains fill in the gaps of what that story is. Mm-hmm. When really it might just be someone came in. Someone came in the room or the phone rang or whatever. Right. Our brains make up stories, though, about why that why something happens. And then that is the story that often can become then the internal trigger Mm -hmm. that sends us down the ladder or prevents us from getting back to a place of safety and connection because we've disconnected in some way. Screens are a good example of this as parents. They're just, (laughs) they do so many wonderful things for us. And I mean, my kids call me on it regularly to say like, mom, put your phone down. I'm trying to talk to you. Mm. which really doesn't feel good as a parent. But that is yeah. a, you can't be as connected with someone right. if I'm also trying to look at something on my phone while I'm trying to have a conversation. Yeah. And so it's important to remember too, that piece of like your your brain's making up stories about yeah. what's happening to you. That that reminds me of uh, some podcast I listened to with Brene Brown. <laughs> she does a whole thing about that, like the, the story we tell ourselves. Oh, yeah. Like, Yep. Why do we do that? I mean, I do that regularly. Like, is that just just like a survival? Like my brain tries to rationalize. Yeah, we need to make sense of what's happening to us. And it's a lot of time it is not it is nonsensical what we come up with in our heads a lot of times. Right. But the goal there would be to be connected enough where that story can be shared. Yeah. And then I can correct it as a parent. Yeah. And you know, we've done a lot of work with Brene. She's my other, she, she's Spare my friend. Animal. She, she just doesn't know it. <laughs> We're besties and she's is clueless. We've done a lot of work uh, like professionally in our like leadership teams with mm-hmm. her like dare to lead and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And we are to the point now where in a meeting, we I, I can say to one of my counterparts and say like, what story are you telling yourself about what I just said? Mm. Or like, what what story are you telling yourself about the situation? Because it seems off. There has to has to be enough safety and connection for someone to say, I think it means X, Y, or Z. And then I can come back and say, like, no, no, that's not what I meant. Mm -hmm. This is this is it. Mm -hmm. Same with our kids. Right. From parenting, that story, like, yes, our brain just makes up stories. And so the safety, you have to have safety and connection for them to share that with you. I thought mm-hmm. that meant, I thought you were mad at me or I thought, you know, you were disappointed or I thought you looked really angry. Why are you angry right now? Mm-hmm. You can't do that if you're not safe and connected. Right. And if you're not, then they just keep making up the story. Mm-hmm. And then if you don't have a chance to correct any misperceptions, that gets wired. That's the fire and wire. And so they will keep telling themselves those things of she doesn't care about me or she was mad at me or I'm so stupid or whatever. And that's, that's, that can be kind of how that plays out. Can you give a scenario just cause they're good for me to hear <laughs> you, you probably like, like, darn it, another example, but like maybe something from therapy or, you know, whatever from that whole scenario we just played out about your brain tells you a story. Then we have like, help me understand, which you say that a lot in your parenting 
when the boys would do something like your, your response, you try for your response to be, um, what is happening right now? Help me, help me understand what's happening. Can you give me an example? Give the people an example (laughs) of like a story. Yeah. I mean, I can personally, as an adult, think of times like that, but I like, obviously it's going to look different in a child. And maybe, maybe that was a dumb thing to ask for, but. No, I think, um, I think it's just hard to come up with, but there have been times where I have said something. Most of the time it's because I'm distracted. Okay. Here's an example. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of times when I'm going to, when I'm putting Lincoln to bed and y'all know, I'm going to lay with him until he kicks me out. And nine nights out of 10, he will not stop talking, (laughs) (laughs) which is why I do it, right? Because that is when all of his stuff comes out. But there are some nights where I just, I am so tired and I am, I don't care about Minecraft anymore. And I don't (laughs) want to know what type of bird you saw at recess. And like, I just am tired. (laughs) And so there are some times when I respond to him, I'll be like in the middle of singing. He just talks over me because we always sing. That's how we end the night. And he just keeps asking questions in the middle of my songs. (laughs) And sometimes he'll say something and I will say, what? In clearly a tone of voice that is irritated. Right. And he says, never mind. You don't want to know. And I think, oh, hell. (laughs) (laughs) So then... I have to fix my tone of voice, which, right, cue of safety. I have to fix my tone of voice and say, nobody, I want to know what you have to say. Mm -hmm. Tell me about it. Mm -hmm. And he has said like, oh, no, you just seem really, you seem mad or you seemed, you seemed like you didn't, you didn't really want to know or you didn't want me to tell you. That's a story he's telling himself. Mom doesn't care or she, you know, doesn't want to hear from me or whatever. And Luckily, he calls he calls me on it pretty regularly, and I can repair it a little bit and say like, "No, buddy, I'm sorry. I would I was distracted, or I'm just tired, or whatever." And then I can correct it a little bit. That goes all the way to, like I said before, the people who who in therapy as adults will say, you know, they they think that if people disagree with them, that means they don't want to be friends with them anymore, or they don't mm-hmm. want to be in a relationship with them anymore, and so they just cut people out. Mm-hmm. that's a story they make up. All of right. it is stories we make up. And so right. therapy is like, can you think of a different explanation for that same situation? Or I wonder if you've ever considered that this might be why they did that. Or right. again, just that curiosity of like, help me understand why you think that. Or mm-hmm. what are other times that you have thought that before? Or where do you think that comes from? Or truly... And what you said is where I come from. I am, I try, I do not do it perfectly by any stretch of the imagination and no one does, but truly try to stay just curious about, Mm -hmm. okay, you are screaming about, screaming at me about goldfish right now. What is happening? Right. What, what just happened? Mm -hmm. Or why are you so upset? Or what is it? What's the problem? Help me understand what's happening here. Mm-hmm. Because I think, especially when it's an irrational response to something right. like yeah. goldfish, mm-hmm. clearly right. something else is happening. Yeah, it's not about clearly. the goldfish. <laughs> it's not about the freaking goldfish. <laughs> so if I make it about the goldfish, then I've like missed the whole point. Then, right. you know, you just miss all those opportunities. So yeah, it, it really is just about being curious Mm -hmm. And understanding that as parents, if our kids are doing behavior that doesn't make sense, trusting the science enough to believe that their nervous system is doing what it thinks it's best, is best to keep them safe. Mm -hmm. And I can challenge that if I want to, but to challenge a nervous system seems silly. Yeah. I have to instead use my nervous system, that's that Mm co-regulation, safety and connection, to pull them up to safe and connected with me, and then we can do anything meaningful. Let me sidebar. So let's say he's flipping out about some goldfish, something that's irrational. Sometimes I think 
we can try and, I guess, shame or dismiss or it is shame. Because when I think about the language that is used sometimes, it's like, like that's silly to be upset. Like, why? Like, you know, you're, it's your tone of voice, but it's, and it's a shaming tone. Mm-hmm. Like, what is that? Would, I mean, obviously, I would think that that would shove them further down the rung of mm-hmm. the ladder as well, in the same way that, like, yelling at them mm-hmm. would, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's just invalidating to yes, say, that's, well, that's silly. Yeah. That's silly to be upset about that. Yeah. That may 100% be true. It is silly to be upset about goldfish. Yes. It may not be silly to be upset about what the actual cause is, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is why I want to get to that. But what happens when you do that, gosh, it just sends so many subtle, unconscious messages to kids about, I don't care about how you feel. Mm-hmm. Don't share it with me because I'm going to try to convince you that that's not true. Mm-hmm. Your feelings aren't valid. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't trust how you feel because that's just silly. Mm-hmm. And it just shuts it all. It's just so invalidating. And there is so much research about validation in kids and what that turns into in adults. And, you know, being invalidated throughout childhood is just very, very damaging mm-hmm. for kids to not mm-hmm. just overall be invalidated. And, it does send them into shame, but it also, I mean, they won't share that with you again. Because it does fire and wire that, yeah. like, if I feel this way, I'm not tell them mom. about it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. She don't want to hear it, or she'll just yeah. get mad, or mm-hmm. she'll just spank me, or she w- fill in the blank. Right. It's not a sense of she's going to help me. Mm-hmm. She wants to know, and she will always help me, mm-hmm. even if it's silly. Right. Half the time it is silly. Yeah. Because that's not what it's really about. Yeah. It's not what it's about. It's about yeah. something else. And so it's just not good. Yeah. <laughs> the invalidating is just so, can be so damaging, so mm-hmm. damaging for kids. Well, that's damaging as an adult. Like, I mean, yeah. you've talked about it, given examples. Like if you go to your best friend or you go to your husband and you, you know, you're having, you had a horrible day at work or somebody said something that really hurt your feelings and they just say, that's dumb, that's dumb for you to be upset about it. Like, get over it. Like that's him. Like nobody likes that feeling. Right. It's, and the biggest, easiest example we have, which you hear it all the time is people will say, you know, particularly if you're an anxious person. And you'll say like, oh, I'm really anxious about flying. And someone says like, you shouldn't be anxious about that. Oh, well, thank you very much. I didn't realize that. I'm fixed. Like, cured. (laughs) No kidding. Okay. It's not rational. Like, a lot of our fears and anxieties and worries, they're not rational. Yeah. That's the point. Mm -hmm. But telling someone that does not make the feeling go away. Right. Doesn't make it go away. All it does is shows you're not the person I can talk to about this. Mm -hmm. If you have anxiety and you have a friend that always just tells you how ridiculous it is to be anxious about certain things, Mm -hmm. that's not going to be the person that you go to. Right. And so if my kid learns that about me, I'm not the person you can go to. They're going to go to someone else. Mm-hmm. They will find that because we crave and seek connection. Mm-hmm. And I'll be damned if they are going to get that from someone else and not yeah. me. Right. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. So because I don't know what someone else would tell them or right. how they would influence them or mm-hmm. take advantage of them or anything. So absolutely not. Yeah. It has to be me. And that means I have to get it together and stay in safe and connected as much as I can. And when I dip out, I got to do my best to get back. Right. And bring them with me. Yeah. Because I just can't bear the thought of someone else filling that role for them. Right. Yeah. That is terrifying. (laughs) Right. There's a lot of crazy people out there. Yeah. So that's always the goal. Okay. That's polyvagal theory. (laughs) (laughs) In a nutshell. (laughs) Which clearly, I should not have tried to cram everything into that last episode, because we just talked for another little bit about it. But now you see why I was like, well, that didn't, I didn't even talk about it. I left some things out of that last one. So hopefully, hopefully this makes a little more sense. 
again, the science just is what backs up what I think is intuitive. I think it's intuitive for us as people. And parenting has just gone off course yeah. <laughs> somehow yeah, and goes against what I truly believe is intuitive for us, that we need to connect with people, that we want to reach out to people. And so I hope this makes sense. I hope this helps clarify a little bit more about the why behind this work and this style and approach mm -hmm. and why it's so important and why it's important to me that people understand it because I think our kids deserve us to be in the best positions we can be and to keep them in safe and connected with us as often as we can. Yeah. I mean, when you think about as an adult, <laughs> what you want and what you need in your life and in your relationships to pretend that your kids would want anything less than that is really mm -hmm. sad to me. And so if I'm having a bad day, I want my spouse or I want my best friend or I want my mom or my dad to say, hey, what's going on? Like, what, mm -hmm. what is happening right now? What You're not acting like yourself. I don't want you to yell at me. I don't want you to tell me that it's silly that I feel this way. Like, I want you to be the safety, be that mm -hmm. safe place and keep me connected to you yep. and help me get out of the you know, the fight or flight or the dorsal vagal collapse. Like, I want you to help me get back. Right. And again, to pretend that our kids want anything less than that or deserve anything less than that, I do not think the argument could be made for that. And if there is somebody out there, that makes me really sad. But I think, like you said at the beginning, like viewing it, kids are full people. They have, mm -hmm. they feel everything that we feel and they just don't express it well in the same way that we do because we have full brains and we have experiences and we have language and all of these things. And so viewing it that way, whether it's parenting or whether it's just interacting with somebody else's kids, like give some grace. Like what would you want? Like, yep. I mean, the golden rule, it sounds cheesy, like do to others what you would want them to do to you. And how do you want to be treated? Yep. I think, again, I feel like I say things that so, are so dramatic, but that's life changing not just for parenting, but in your relationships with other people, understanding that we all just want to feel safe and connected. Mm -hmm. And what part do I play in all of my relationships in helping keep myself there and helping keep the people that I love and care about there as well? Yep. Yeah, hopefully this has been challenging. I mean, it challenges me to think about that, but I hope it's been challenging and encouraging and substantiating <laughs> on some level. <laughs> But yeah, polyvagal theory is a wrap. Well, not a wrap. There's a lot more to dig into in that one. But this introductory yeah, session, that's the polyvagal. Your primer. <laughs> that's your primer. Finally got through it. Right. All right. We are going to get out of here, I guess. So thank you guys for listening. And don't forget, rate, review, subscribe, the podcast, the pod. Thanks for listening. Boy. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Parental Development. If you found this helpful at all, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you choose to stream. And if you have questions that you'd like answered on the show, email info at parentaldevelopment.com. We'd love to hear from you to know that someone else is actually listening. And remember, we're all doing the best we can in this parenting thing. So survive the day and keep the kids alive. See you next time.